what's your ethos? Okay, what underpins your ethos? Your, what underpins your pedagogy as a person, as a practitioner? Being in the moment and being present with the, the children is really, really important because the observation, the assessment, the planning, it can really, really take over. Long-term investment in your child that, that although practitioners all have a long-term investment and all care very much, obviously they're not necessarily going to spend all of that time with your child. I'm Stacey Mann, Early Years and Childcare Specialist for NCFE Cash um, and I have worked in the sector for, in the early years sector for the past uh, 21 years, which goes incredibly quickly when you're working in this industry. Um, I started off as a nursery nurse um, and worked up to nursery manager, children's centre manager and then mostly over the last 13 years I've done assessing um, tutoring, mentoring and um, completed my teaching qualifications um, and I've only been here really since September so still very much in my honeymoon period. I've got two beautiful little girls aged seven and six and I think they'll be very relevant to the conversation today where um, you know talking about communication and things like that and them returning to school and how that has impacted on them going in and out and you know so lots lots to talk about specifically um, as a parent I suppose. I'm Jennifer Staunton, known to others as Jen Staunton okay and I'm um, a work for School Improvement Liverpool. I'm a quality improvement officer, an early years quality improvement officer and it's been my privilege and absolute pleasure to work in the early years sector for the last 27 years. Um, I've had different roles. So um, from I started my career very like Stacey. I think we were, were so similar in what we've done in, throughout our career. So I, I trained as a nursery nurse when I left school, um, managed a nursery, a day nursery, went on to... Um, decided that I wanted to go back to university after having um, two of my own children, decided I wanted to go back to university um, and train as a, an early years teacher. I've gone on to train to master's level and then I've managed um, a, a rather large early years department, including a children's centre. Um, and I'm now also, so I've got a couple of hats at the moment. So I'm now also the programme leader for early years Senko Award. Um, that School Improvement Liverpool developed and we've got the backing of the DfE and Nason and it's also a cash qualification so I'm the programme leader for that but I've, all, oh yeah, I've also got um, three children so they come in handy every now and then don't they but yeah that's me they really do <laughs> I often refer to my uh, my children when I'm training and when I'm having conversations like this because it's relevant isn't it you know you've been through it yourself yeah yeah and I think that's really important when you're working with, with the sector with the practitioners and parents and um, to, to 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 that they understand you know some of the struggles some of the challenges but more importantly some of the things that they celebrate so that for me that that's really important yeah I think it's always important being able to share bits of yourself that are relevant but obviously there's also that caveat that there are things that aren't always helpful to share. Um, so there's that like judging, I suppose, things as and when the crop up as to it might be relevant, for example, to share my health condition with one person that I'm working with, but not be relevant to share it with someone else in terms of it's that, I suppose, when I did part of a social work degree at some point, um, 
and 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 then life happened um and in that part of a social work degree the thing i think i kept most from that is that it's it's asking who you're sharing that information for is it for the benefit of that person and to help them to understand how you can help or to do that bit or are you sharing it just because you want them to know and that's that's that yeah, and I agree with what you're saying there, because realistically, so I've worked with lots of parents that haven't had my experiences and haven't, you know, don't, their, their life's different and we're all individuals and life we treat, we treat children as individuals. It's really important to remember that parents and carers are also individuals with their own life experiences. So I think one thing I've learned through, you know, in leadership posts and practice posts is that everyone, everyone's different. And everyone has their own story and everyone's got their own challenges and everyone, you know, got, has got, have got their own skills. And I think that as, as an educational professional, I think it's really important that you remember that um, when you're working with, with children and families. I think that's, yeah, it's key. Looking at the way the world works now in terms of the way everything is so polarised and we've got this whole social media, even in real life now, you know, we're having a conversation where it is, you know, I've picked the cleanest corner of my house and we're sitting, you know, and, and no one's really, like, everything's like Instagram now. Like, there's this whole, like, if you don't agree with someone or that there's friction or you've got an opposite opinion, they're obviously a horrible person, so just cut them out of your life and stop following them, you know, like, and it's really weird that we're no longer in a place where we like talk to people about why they think the things they think or what experiences have led them to that from the point of view that actually we might learn something you know like I've never learned anything from anyone who 100% agrees with us we learn from people don't we in conversations and what we see and what we hear and and actually taking in other people's life experience I had to we're listen, I'm sitting here listening to you both of you and wow that's amazing yeah I'll take that on so you don't you you, you do yeah I've never learned from anyone actually who's had the same got the same opinion as me sometimes because we've got in my house so it's so funny because my my husband's quite opinionated and um, so so we have quite like political talks around the table you know he's like really political we don't talk about policies, policies, procedures, or um, or politics around our table. That's the rule because my daughters, who are twenty two and nineteen, also have their own opinions. But it's really good, isn't it? It's really good that they can express those opinions. So yeah, no, it's so true. Such lovely conversations come around that that sort of scenario though don't you think I have a lot of lovely conversations when I'm eating um and when I'm with the family and we're all talking my husband is very opinionated as well and he's um but I like that that's why we're together he challenges me in conversation he doesn't always agree with what I say and he has as much as he thinks he's got a growth mindset he's sometimes got a very fixed mindset <laughs> and sometimes I have to say to him well think of it from this point of view and he'll take that on board but then the children are listening to that which I think is important for them to see us challenging each other in conversation not always agreeing and for them to have their voice as well and trust me they have their voice in that in that arena you know they will while they're eating their spag bowl, they'll have a conversation with me about everything. Um, and they really have some strong opinions that are quite profound. For a seven-year-old and a six-year-old, you think, wow, 
Um, and that's happened in nurse, you know, when I've worked in nurseries and when I've worked specifically as a relaxed kids coach and working with mindfulness and and children and parents and, and teenagers where they've they've just had these lovely conversations that have stopped me and made me think about something in a completely different way. I love I that. I love it too. Oh, you, you've got me off now, Stacey, because I absolutely love it. So there is nothing better than a conversation with a two-year-old, okay? In my opinion, there is nothing, nothing better than that, that conversation with a two-year-old. But you've got to be a very special person to, to really get into that conversation, okay? Because what you think they're having a conversation about might be totally different, right? So it's about, I suppose, that goes back to, to your pedagogy, isn't it? You know, what you how you believe children learn, how they experience things. You want to engage them. So I remember sitting, this is the truth, sitting in, in, in like the home corner with, with a group of children. I'm just sitting on the stool on the stool somewhere and a little girl come up to me she was actually nearly three year old okay and she came up to me and she said miss would you like um would you like something to drink and I said yes please uh, yes I'd like something to drink and I said oh um, I'll have a cup of tea she says what is a cup of tea and she didn't know what <laughs> and I said oh don't you know what a cup of tea is I said don't you have cup of teas in your house and she looks at me and she went no my mum drinks coffee I said, oh, right. So I said, I'll have a cup of coffee, but I'll tell you what, I'll have a cup of tea. Um, I do like a cup of tea. So I had to go through the whole rigmarole of getting a tea bag, putting it in the cup, and we were showing her how to do it and mixing it all up and having a little drink, you know, for this cup of tea. And she says, I wouldn't drink that. It's full of mud. Because it leaves with mud. So I always remember, so you think, she's just relating what she knows from, like, her own experiences of it and, and her like what she's what she's learned in her home life and what she sees outside to what we're doing so it's like really important isn't it that those experiences are shaped by a, a, a their own and you know and we shape them and give them those skills more so I just love children I, I can't even tell you how much I don't think I'll ever grow up because I absolutely love between between the ages of north and seven really after seven I like them they're, they're all right Okay, I like I, I do I like them, but they're all right. But I I just love that it those early years where where we can put everything into them like a sponge and they take everything in and we're we're helping shape that amazing little person that they are to the and we I always say yesterday I was delivering training and I was saying to a group of it was a group of senkos and I said you could have in your classroom in your settings you could have the next prime minister. And someone said, oh, I've got a few bodices in my class, Jenny. Okay, so you could have, I said, okay, what you've got in your class? You could have the next prime minister. And, um, you know, let's not put glass ceilings on these children because they are amazing. And what's really interesting about you saying it needing to be a special person to engage in those conversations with children, I think that's really interesting because I see when I'm in settings I see a lot of adults who stop the learning journey sometimes in communication by thinking that there's a place for them when there really isn't such as if there's something going on in the in the home corner for example you know all the children are making something or they're doing something and a practitioner looks at that and thinks I could inject some communication here so I'll go in and and do my adult role 
um, which is to sit down and go, who's going to make me a cup of tea? And by doing that, you're stopping their their conversation straight away, aren't you? Actually, there's not a space for you at that particular time. And at that moment in time, they were in the middle of making a lasagna, um, you know, and you've just stopped them from doing that. So it's it's a, that whole wait, watch, wonder, isn't it? Waiting and watching to see what unfolds and then wondering whether there is a, a place. So I think that you gain that through experience. So I, I think, you know, through experience, practitioners gain that. And know, I think it's important to know your children. So again, knowing the, knowing the child, being comfortable in your own practice, okay, and understanding what they need. I often call that interrupting. So, you're, you know, you're not, it's not, it's not scaffolding learning. Sometimes that's interrupting, but you, you've got, yeah. you've got to have those skills, the skills and knowledge to know what, when that's right to interrupt play and when to take it to the next level and the way, and, you know, in using the environment to really, to, to do that. So, and again, but for me, it's about knowing the child, isn't it? That's the key. Knowing what makes that child tick, what tick and what you need to give to, to, to build that child's knowledge and build their language and experience. Vocabulary is really difficult to build. Did you know? I said, I've got, I'm full of random facts. Okay. Um, and you know, I <laughs> children need to hear where a word, one single word, more than two hundred times. So they need to, before they can say it, they need to hear it more than two hundred times. So if you're thinking about what you know their experiences, who talks to them, when they talk to, what type of you know, it's not just communication isn't just language. It's your it's you know emotions. It's your your body language. It's it starts in lots of different ways. If you think about that baby when that baby cries, that's a communication, or when they riddle in the cot or squeak or all those things that starts that communication so I suppose you're right it's sometimes when you watch practitioners when you stand back you watch practitioners and how they how they scaffolds and you know experiences and challenge children's thinking because we must challenge children you know it's really important like you, you know we're all challenged today would you agree everyone's challenged you, you like to be challenged children so so it's really important that um, people understand the what what how how their role develops children okay and gives them those skills so but that's down to experience often you see and do you know what it can be the it can be really um people who think they're doing best soon everyone I always remember okay so let's take when, when one of my sessions were being inspected so you know it was the days Stacey will remember so this was a this was 2013-14 was, was this inspection the days when you didn't get any notice so my, my setting was being inspected and um my practitioners were like I, I went to say oh you know they've turned up so the the, the the inspectors are here I'll show them around in a minute don't worry they were like oh Jenny what shall we get out what shall we do and I was like nothing just be yourself okay be yourself and uh, you know it doesn't you you do what you do every day for these children and ensure that they, you know you just show what you show what you do and they did and it was lovely and um, you know there was a little boy he was he was um he was wanted to be a snake okay he wanted to be a oh, he wanted to be a snake under the under the slide outside but we've been doing lots of sounds right okay so he was going i'm a snake under the slide under the slide and, he's doing, and i thought that's amazing for a two-year-old so i just stood 
someone else says, would you like to go in the sands? And I was like, oh no, stop it. Just let him carry on. That practitioner was thinking, oh, I've got it. She knew the opportunity. She was being, being watched by the inspector. And she said, oh, she must have been thinking, I need to, to challenge that. Jenny's always going on about that next step, that next step. But actually, at that moment, that child was doing it for himself. Okay, he didn't need us. But that's just being comfortable and confidence, isn't it? It's just confidence. In being... And being present, isn't it? Being present um, and in the moment with that child. The communication, just the language just comes, doesn't it? I think the vocabulary over the past year, we've all grown in our vocabulary bank, haven't we? Um, we've got new words that we weren't using this time last year. Um, and the children in our care are learning new words this year in particular, aren't they? Because of the pandemic and learning all of these different words that they're coming out with you that you weren't expecting them to. But I think being in the moment and being present with the, the children is really, really important because the observation, the assessment, the planning, it can really, really take over. Um, I remember I was supporting a children's centre in Wolverhampton and uh, they were having some consultation visits, um, support with observation, assessment and planning because they had gone from having four sheets of paper of planning to 16 pieces of paper for planning per week. Um, they couldn't explain it to me um, and I said to them right well well show me what your typical day is like and they said well this one little boy that we're working with his communication is a bit lower than what we would expect so we're, we're re really trying to work on him speaking really um, during activities right okay so I'll observe you doing that so um, they had a tough tray they had lots of different natural things in their leaves and twigs and mud and all sorts and the dinosaurs which was, he was really interested in and he was having this wonderful just moment by himself talking with these dinosaurs there was lots of language going on and his key person shouted from one side to the room to the to the other to her other her colleague he's talking pass me the ipad and they got the ipad which was massive and took a photo of him for observation to back up observation and I said what are you doing you've just because what happened to him then of course was he stopped talking because <laughs> I would have done as well um and he just stopped and I took her to one side she was a lovely lovely practitioner that had lost her way a little bit and I'd said to her you know why are you doing that and she said i I'm fearful that I'm going to miss something I'm fearful that I'm going to miss something to capture within assessment and I think, again, that comes back to the confidence of practitioner in really just believing that being there and, and as a parent as well, being there and talking to the children is enough. Absolutely. It is. And I, I completely agree. But again, that goes back to confidence of how do you build the confidence in that practitioner? And for me, it's about ensuring that, you know, you've got a, a really, really detailed and and continue professional development plan so that you've got 
so that you've got that and you, you don't do training for training's sake, okay? That you've what's your intent of your training, what you want to get from it, okay? Where are we and where are we seeing that impact in practice? So if you're, you know, you're a setting owner manager, you're thinking about that carefully. So you're thinking about a really carefully planned, continued professional development. We have to invest in our workforce. It's a, it's essential. Um, you know, we stagnate. It's like water. If we don't carry on, I I joined a, a a session last night I often you know I think it's really important that we we access tr- relevant relevant training training that's up to date that's got some research behind it that's got some, you know those type of things so that because you, if you're inspired if you go to a training course as a practitioner you know let's take communication and language if you're inspired to want to know more that's not going to stop is it because that course stops because you know you're going to inspire them so it's about really good leadership and management that recognize the importance of a well-planned and a ha- uh, training plan okay when well-planned and you know research-led training plans that that's that's my opinion and you will inspire because no one everyone in early years i do i've never met anyone who was in in it for the money okay never no one's you're not going to be a millionaire okay i always say you're never going to be a millionaire but you will you will have million you will shape millions of hearts and millions of lives so it's really important that you remember that so no one no one would not want a child to, to progress um or think that but it's about ensuring that they understand and be confident in what they do and you know what i i i love working with our workforce in Liverpool and, and beyond because I'm lucky enough to work across the country now so that you know for me I'm, I'm completely inspired every session I go to or every practitioner I speak to I'm like oh what have I learned from you amazing give what did you do you know what what did you say okay so I ask questions so that I just hope that that's what we do as a service that's what we do as as professionals you know sitting here today I hope would inspire in others to really think about their practice reflect on their practice sometimes we don't have time to reflect because we do things because we think we've got to do it and we don't have time to think about the impact of that so it's really important isn't it yeah and i think there's there's a thing there in terms of like it not just being about training in terms of that that there's lots of practitioners out there who want to be invested in and want to do training and want to do development that is you know standardized or or is is a is it is a piece of training or a qualification but obviously that infrastructure isn't there within their workplace or within you know where they work um so that that there is a lot that practitioners can do to support and scaffold their own learning or to, to start those things ticking, you know, things like building a personal learning network. And it might be on Twitter. It might be joining the EY tag team on Twitter and doing some sharing online or maybe even starting your own YouTube channel, you know, and doing some activities so that other people can see what you're doing. And There's nothing better, at door, I agree, there's nothing better than peer support. So, you know, we, we there's nothing better than peer support. We advocate networks. We advocate working together. We advocate, you know, staying in touch with each other. There's nothing better. You're right, social media. We, we live in another world now, don't we? You know, even considered from last year. There's a, we, you know, there's, social media is really good, isn't it? It's a platform where we can share ideas. Um, I also think in, you know, making sure that you realise what skills you've got in your own setting because sometimes we don't know what others know. 
Cash Alumni, the fastest growing network of current and future professionals in care, health and education. You can join us for free at cashalumni.org.uk and get access to articles from subject specialists and experts, e-learning to a discount and benefits scheme and lots of support with career development and your future growth. I think one of the biggest things that I, I always talk about is that actually we, we children and adults learn together. So in 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 my nursery when I, where I worked, I was always saying we're just we're gang we're a gang of learners, aren't we? Okay, we learn from each other and we learn from the children, and that's the best professional development, isn't it? Really, because you know I've never met one child that's the same as the other. So you, you learn you have to learn every day. Um, so it's so true, isn't it? I think it's so true. It is so true. I've never met the same child twice. It does. It does really challenge you as a parent, and I, I'd, you know, even as a parent with early years qualifications, I think that's sometimes a hindrance rather than a. <laughs> so do you not think sometimes that's harder because you beat yourself up as a professional for not being able to apply that, but actually there's there's a whole other barrier as a parent in that first of all you're stuck with that child, you know, you don't get to give them back at the end of the day, so there is that I can't just be you know, this person, I, I need to to be the other side of that as well. There's also that obviously long-term investment in your child that, that although practitioners all have a long-term investment and all care very much, obviously they're not necessarily going to spend all of that time with your child until they're 18. And there's that sort of, that there's that personal relationship that is difficult or insurmountable often when trying to approach things with your practitioner hat on. Yeah, Absolutely. I think in terms of behaviour more than, for me, it's been uh, around behaviour. But do you think it's harder to ask for help as a practitioner? Do you know what I mean? Like to be able to put yourself out there and go, I'm struggling with this because you feel like you should know better, even though it's not the same. Yeah, everybody thinks you, and I thought myself actually, when I had my my first baby and I I just, everybody expected me to be a good mom straight away. Like you, you, you've worked with babies since you were sixteen. Like you know, and prior to that, you were. I was teaching dance um, when I was thir- from the age of thirteen. Um, you know, and everybody just expect there was an expectation. I think I may have put that expectation on myself, um, but I do think that everybody else thought it as well, and probably checked in on my checked in on me less. I think the midwives and the health visitors checked in on me less uh, because of my age as well, because I was 30 when I had my first. And so I remember her say, the health visitor saying to me, actually, when she came to visit, she, she didn't look up from her notepad. And I said to her, have, have you got a lot to do today? <laughs> um, you know, is your caseload quite, quite high? And she said, yes, but you're a quick one because you're a geriatric parent. And I've got a lot of young mums that need more support Isn't than it you strange? do. Like how stuff's changed. Because my mum had the opposite experience. Because my mum was 30 when she had me, well, 29, and was classed as a geriatric parent. Like, especially back in the 80s. Do you know what I mean? Like, that was, it was, a, it was different then, almost. But my mum was sort of told that that, you know, made her more likely to be a neurotic parent and and basically even though I've always had this genetic health condition that I've got like it took until I was like 17 to get a diagnosis because on my medical records from being a baby 
it basically says, oh, don't listen to this parent because she's obsessed with our baby because it took her so long to get, you know, because she, she was so old when she had her. So there was there was like an actual thing on my medical record saying that like me mom kept bringing us to doctors and there were loads of different things wrong with us. And that was because she was a geri- geriatric parent rather than, you know, this woman keeps bringing her child to the doctors and there's loads of different things wrong with her. Maybe there's loads of different things. Maybe this, maybe this is a thing, you know, like, so she had like the opposite experience and that like she was sort of under a microscope for those exact same reasons. Yeah, I think I didn't really trust my gut instinct until Zara came along, until the second baby come al- came along. And there's only 15 months between my two. Um, but I... I was very theoretical, I would say, with my first one. I know childcare. I know early years. This is how this is going to go. Whereas when Zara came along, I was like, there's no theory to this. <laughs> there's no theory to being a parent. This is different and I've got to find my own way and I've got to trust my gut instinct. Um, and I, I say that to all of my friends that have now become parents as well. Just trust what works for you and... And just do whatever you think is best because your gut instinct's there for a reason. It's really hard as a parent, isn't it? You know, it's a, it, you know, as a parent and being a professional. So, you know, it's really, really hard working in that field. I don't think I ever worried. I'm not going to lie. I'm like, I worry more now as they've got older um, than when they were younger. So I'm worrying more am I doing the right thing now and, you know, as they've got older. I was 19 when I had my first child so I was young when I had my you know young nursery nurse so I was a young nursery nurse and I just I always remember looking into looking into the window of um the baby room where my little girl like was at the time thinking I want I want so much more for you you know but actually when I look back now I think what a career okay what an amazing career and I wouldn't change it at all and I wouldn't change when I had the children and my children and I'm going to grow old and be you know grow old with when they're getting a bit older and things so I wouldn't change any of that but I do think you do put out of pressures on yourself so you know when are they walking when are they when are they talking all those things that we need to think about um my daughter had a stramis and my daughter was non-fluent she just couldn't get a word so kind of behavior was uh, she was obviously showing me something so i don't i don't like talking about negative behavior but i actually don't refer to it as that at all i call it distress behavior so um she was distressed and i did i thought it was because i had a new baby etc and it, it wasn't it was because um she just couldn't get a word so she just was struggling and struggling she had to have quite a lot of um, intervention around uh, for speech and language intervention but picking up on what you said around singing she that's how we got through it so we used to sing things and she she'd sing and she could she's actually a very able little girl and she's you know she's now more than able she's first class degree and masters so she's she's very she's she's very able um but yes yeah, so developing her language was quite difficult and I possibly beat me I didn't worry but I did beat myself up over it so what am I doing for her how am I giving her the best experience so we read loads of books we sang loads of songs we, we you know all those things everything that you talk about in practice now okay so you know I talk about that love of reading that love of singing developing that language making sure that you use every opportunity opportunity to to build on children's vocabulary that we that were really putting time into that so that that was what I did with my own children what I what I mean actually she's fine now you know she, she was all five when we stopped speech and language therapists um intervention what are your um 
thoughts on uh, technology, uh, Jen? Because obviously, you know, talking um, is something I've, I, I did all the time. I narrated everything that I did. I'm sure I got, I still do get on my children's nerves um, talking about exactly what I'm doing and narrating everything that I'm doing so that I knew that there was lots of words going on in, in the home. But now with um, with technology being used more and, you know, sometimes I've seen people walking along with, you know, mums walking along with pushchairs with their headphones on and the, the child facing the other way and uh, lots of iPads um, and tablets being used by children really, really young. I know you can get... Um, you can get a tablet holder for a cot now. You can get a tablet holder for a bouncer. You know, what are your thoughts on, on technology and communication and language? So I think it's got its place, okay? So we've got we, we've got children who are, who are going to be the next adults and we live in that world now. So we've got to accept that. So, we, you know, we have to accept that technology has its, has its place and children need to learn those skills in order for them to be successful socially, you know, and economically. So we, we have to, it's got its place. I don't think we can ever, ever take away the value of actually talking to children, looking eye contact, you know, so they can see your emotions on your lips, that you're a real person. I don't, I think we, we can't take that away. I think there's got to be a balance. So, you know, we understand the future, but there has to be a balance where we, we, we model language and that children can see you emotionally, what you're doing. Do you think part of that is that when, yeah, conversing with a child or you're talking with a child live there is that like waiting for interaction back and that sort of expectation that the child will respond like whereas with technology there isn't so for I, I don't have children but what I do have is a habit for trying to learn languages um so for me like I can watch a documentary in German and I can understand every single word of it and I can absorb that language and I can know what's happening and I could I could tell you what every person said as they were saying it but I couldn't having a conversation is different being able to use language and to respond to questions and to be able to come up with a, a, a sentence of your own on the spot is a completely different skill do you think that that's part of what's being lost with that sort of screen-based babysitter so you need that two-way response, don't you? So it's really important. Children, retrieval of information is really important. So when they're developing, when, when the brain's developing, we need to be thinking about that long-term, short-term memory and retrieval of that information. So if it's just from the screen, um, you know, they're watching something on a the screen, they're not going, they're not going to the more likely, okay, because so some p things do, so the more likely not to have that experience. So that that that's important. But as I said, I think it's we've got to have a little bit of both moving forward. As, you know, the mother tongue, there's nothing better than the child's mother tongue, listening to that, you know, whether that's a man or woman or whatever, you know, if we need to, that we have to, that mother tongue, that what they hear, that family voice around them, that's really important. Um, I also think that, and, and connecting with them, they recognise that. So my niece talks American because she watches this Barbie thing on YouTube. She's three and she, she goes, she goes to soccer and I'm like, oh, she goes, pass me the soccer ball. And I'm like, Eva, it's a football. Okay, but just learn that from the screen but you're right because you need and you also need to know when to talk and when not to talk and you know when it's your turn my turn like the tennis ball thing okay your turn my turn 
they learn on those skills very early is important and you see that in babies what you go and they'll go boom back and they'll know that you know they need to do that to you but you've not just spoken to them have you you give them that boom or boom and they can see that and straight away they're going to come back to you and go boom they try it or you what they watch your lips so babies young children watch your lips if you go mama they'll go and you can see them trying to imitate what you're doing and then if you're like that yay clapping you're giving them those i've done something really good i'm gonna do it again because i just like what she's done then okay so that's what they're thinking so absolutely there's nothing better than human human interaction okay but i suppose where we we can't we have to prepare our children for the future so we can't take technology away it's about having a balance i think that's about if you're thinking about nurseries and and settings it's about making sure that your curriculum is appropriate to that okay so the curriculum that you put in place takes all that into consideration and the child's needs okay so what's that child interested in what can we use the balance of all this there's a lot to think about there is there's a lot there is a lot to think about and i think behaviors and things like that you always learn in a social context and sometimes I don't think that all children all adults at the moment either are learning um, how to self-regulate without having a device to help with. Actually Sophie, I was going to ask you a question about self-regulation based on something you said earlier on because earlier on you said that you sort of went back to, to, to parenting more on instinct and what I was going to ask is in terms of you know just applying that to anyone who might be listening do you think maybe you're underselling some of those skills that you've got in terms of your reflective practice and your ability to be able to discern what you're doing on instinct as being an instinctual thing that is good versus that instinctual reaction for example because we react in a certain way when we feel attacked or when everything's getting on top of us and those instinctual reactions aren't necessarily a positive thing do you think that your focus on self-regulation and your focus on that reflective practice and being able to co-regulate actually makes that instinctive stuff easier could could you be dismissing your actual skill set in talking that way about in it? short yes <laughs> absolutely yes um yeah I think the more I learn about self-regulation the more I learn about brain development then co-regulation and all of those things have definitely helped as a parent on how to respond to things um but I don't know whether I'm I think I compare myself to my mum quite a lot, as, as we probably all do, um, and other adults in our lives that have been impactful. And she she just seemed to naturally know how to be a mum and always has. And she didn't have any training. She didn't have, have any theory to go with it. She just, she just trusted herself. Um, and so... Yeah, yes, I know. I suppose it's a bit of a bit of both. I think, and that I've, I've started to trust myself a little bit more um, in my my skill set. Yeah, definitely. But I think I, I never use personally as a parent. I never use uh, technology to calm my children down. I think I'm the best person to do to help them with that. Um, 
I understand why lots of people do use it um, to, you know, like they're crying. So, so give, but I don't think they're then having that opportunity to learn how to deal with that particular situation. So, for example, uh, we went to uh, the doctors a couple of months before the pandemic, so over a year ago. Um, and we were, we, I knew we were going to be sat there for a long time. So we took a load of books with us. I took a bag with their favourite stories in um, and we sat in the waiting room reading stories to each other, which was lovely because I, you know, I was working a lot that week. I hadn't had that opportunity to connect with them. And the doctor was so shocked when I went in the room. She was like, you've brought books with you. Um, haven't you got a phone sort of conversation we had? And I was like, well, no, I'm here. You know, I can, I can help with that. I can help her wait in that situation because it is a long time to wait and but that's teaching her how to be patient it's teaching her how to, how that how things are not just instantly given to you um because we are we do have everything at our fingertips don't we now children do think that they want that everything's immediate don't they now so that's something but i think what we need to be really picking up from that stacy is that not all parents understand that so you know it's about us upskilling parents or, or working with parents to give them those um you know the, those that advice and those tips and they'll go oh yeah i didn't realize that yeah well that you know shit because we're the experts in, in in education we're the experts in early years we you know we know it with the ex, you know so we know that but uh, you know my husband's he's a joiner so you know he might he, he might know that it's okay you know and his own experience you just don't know those things he might know that it that actually would teach by saying to them oh no we've, we've got to wait a little bit longer would you like to draw a picture or would you like to yeah. you, you might, you might. and not every not everybody had a mom not like everyone, yeah. <laughs> so that's again taking us back to experience isn't it it's taking it experience and what you've got but I suppose going back to you as a practitioner if you're working you know working closely with parents and things it's really important that you've, you you develop that relationship and that you can support them around those type of things so if you identify self-regulations an issue uh, or you know a barrier to that child learning and um, what you what what are you doing what you're doing in nursery we need to think about can that happen at home so how are you supporting that parent at home with that so that's, and I don't think, you know what, we've all been in lockdown, haven't we? We've all been trying to work from home, homeschool, and de- listen, I've been a teacher for a long time, right? But I definitely don't do secondary maths. So, if you're thinking about it, you know, we've all gone, I've, Adam's come to me and he said, Mum, can I, uh, get Mum, um, I've done my maths now, and I've gone, oh yeah, just go, yeah, can I play on my game? And I've gone, yeah, okay, because I've still got things to do, where realistically, maybe I'd be saying, I should be saying, no, you know, let me have a little look and is there something else you can do? And he does read, so, but, you know, it's about us supporting parents, isn't it? Okay. And giving them and skilling them up. So I talk about lots of things. I talk about we have a, a, a toolbox. So I always say to my Senkos, to my early years Senko, what's in your Senko toolbox? Okay. That'll support you as a practitioner. That'll support you as a parent, support your parent, but more importantly, what'll support that child. So what's in your Senko toolbox? The first thing that should come out your toolbox should be anything to do with that child. So we go on about it, so it's something to do. And then if you think about a practitioner setting, 
how what's your ethos okay what underpins your ethos your, what underpins your pedagogy as a person as a practitioner but the ethos how are we living that out and the first thing we should be doing is working in partnership with our parents and our carers to better outcomes for children to give them the life chances that they so truly deserve and that that but we've got to do it together so it's not on our own it's together and thanks to you at home don't forget for more great content tailored towards those working in care, health and education, it's free to join our network and you gain access to some great articles, videos and resources to support your career and some information about career development as well as our members discount and benefit scheme. And if you'd like to feature on a future episode of PodCash, please get in touch at alumni at cash.org.uk. Until next time, take care.